Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome, welcome. It is a beautiful spring day where we are, and we hope you are doing well wherever you well, are. Let's be, let's be candid and frank, Linda. We're both like frazzled. <laughs> We're at the end of our ropes. We're going crazy because... <laughs> We just had a big launch for a new values program that we're doing yesterday that took all day long. And now we're having a wedding tomorrow, our granddaughter and the wedding's at our house. Well, it's the reception. (laughs) The reception is at our house. And we are, (laughs) we're sitting in my den right now, my library, which is usually this really pleasant open room. And now it's got all the furniture from the whole house crammed into it. <laughs> that they didn't want to use. Yeah. Well, that that so they'd have a big open great room for their reception and their dancing and so on. And we're just like, we're just like little pawns on the chessboard. We're This is our granddaughter, Anna, and we're just saying, just move us around, move anything you want, use the house. And wow, she's doing it. We are so happy (laughs) their parents are out there doing a three course meal for the for the reception. And we are so excited. But wow, there's a lot actually mostly because (laughs) our house was in shambles after the winter in Park City. Oh, my yeah, we've goodness. Had construction people working construction on the roof and on the floors. And on the, the deck, deck is falling in. The, and, you know. um, <laughs> wow. So if you hear any ancillary noise during the show today, either you'll know you know, what it is. the sounds of wedding preparation or construction or whatever, you'll know we're sitting in. We're, we're going to try, Linda, today to be like the eye in the center of the hurricane. We're in this right. calm center, calm. just doing this podcast and talking about some really, this is an important episode and we can't wait to get into it, but <laughs> we're going to be the eye of the hurricane and all this stuff will swirl around us and we'll just calmly talk about the message. Right. And one thing we haven't mentioned is that our granddaughter is graduating from high school. A different today, granddaughter. Too, a different granddaughter. Yeah. Um, and her mother has three graduations, a sixth grade, an eighth grade, and a high school graduation. This is our fifth graduation this, of the spring. Yes. Honestly, <laughs> it has uh, been a wonderful, wonderful year. I'm looking forward to next week when all this will be over. <laughs> it will be nice. But we are enjoying it while, we, uh, while we're here. And we're feeling the joy of having these breaks great kids that are getting married and graduating and doing great things. And, you know, it really does tie into what we're going to talk about today, honey, because we don't have any independence today, and we certainly don't have any control over anything. (laughs) And we certainly don't have ownership of anything either, because it's all just happening around us, and we're just just on for the ride. And that leads into what today's topic is. those of you who follow Ours on the Road regularly know that we've been doing this little mini series on the three deceivers, the three deceivers of independence, ownership, and control, and how when we seek those, we we have the mistaken belief that they will bring us happiness. The more independent I am, the happier they'll be. I'll be the more control I have, the happier I'll be. The more ownership I have, the happier I'll be. And we believe, as is the title of our book, The Happiness Paradox, that the the paradox is that seeking those three 
false ideas actually suck away our happiness. And so we've been talking about the three alternatives. The alternative to control is an attitude of serendipity. The alternative to ownership is an attitude of stewardship. And the alternative to independence is the interdependent idea of synergicity. And so hopefully many of you have heard the first four uh, little episodes in this little mini-series. And today's the concluding one where we're going to focus in on families and on how those three deceivers are disruptive and in a way destroying to families and how the three alternatives can be the best friends we have as parents and as grandparents because they they lead to better relationships and so on. So let's take them one at a time, honey. Let's take let's start with the idea of control, the false idea, and and how parents who want to control everything end up taking away not only their own happiness, but that of their families. And then let's talk about how substituting an attitude of adventure and responsiveness and as we call it, serendipity, can really help. And we were at a seminar the other day as keynote speakers, and a lot of the messages to parents were about how confused and discouraged we get when we're always comparing ourselves to other people and trying to control everything, control our children, control what they do, control our family and make it perfect, control the agenda every day and make everything turn out just the way we have ideally idealized in our mind and how it brings guilt and all kinds of attendant problems. Um, but it's so hard not to want to control things because we've had so much more experience, you know, and we know what the end is <laughs> going to be. It's so hard to let people just kid children, especially fall in holes <laughs> and figure out how to get out. And sometimes, of course, you do need to step in, but, you like know, fall in holes. It is really crazy. I mean, sometimes we have to get down in the hole with them and and empathize and so on and say, you know, I I appreciate that what you're going through. I'm so sorry. You know, what can you do to help? But I think our attempts to control are just just it makes it so much harder on both sides. And sometimes we want our kids to learn by the school of hard knocks. So, but boy, to just let them fall in that hole is really hard. Well, it is because we, you know, I mean, the ultimate example of it, I guess, is we want to control our kids' destiny. We, 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 we think, well, my son, the lawyer, my son, the doctor, my son, the scientist, my son, the valedictorian, my, my daughter, the, uh, you know, we have all these visions in our minds of what we want to control the destiny of our children. And we tend to not let them find their own way. We tend to not look closely at who they really are rather than who we sort of wish them to be. And often we want to think of them as an extension of our own ego to, you know, prove that we're great because they turned out great and they did certain things that bring accolades to them and to us and so on. And that can be so damaging because we fail to look at who our kids really are and what their 
passions and gifts really are, even though they don't align with what we had envisioned them to be. Right. And, you know, we, I'm sure he wouldn't mind if we shared this story. We have a son who majored in um, construction management at BYU, which is a really tough major, and he killed himself for four years to get through. And then he went off to work for a big company, and he called us. Um, he was doing well on a fast yeah, track, he was. making a lot of money. He called us one day and said, Mom and Dad, I I have to teach children. <laughs> I am miserable. I hate this. I could do this for the rest of my life. I could work my way up. I could do what, you know, I could manage. I could do whatever. I just hate this. I know what my gift is. I have to do well, this. Well, and the thing that made us feel guilty, me particularly, is I had encouraged this son say well yeah yeah be a teacher teach early morning seminary or be a volunteer or whatever but don't make it your occupation because you can't make any money you'll oh, you know that and i i mean i didn't so bad. say it that directly but i tried that, to but that was what you were thinking exactly in, in other directions and uh to his great credit he came to the conclusion pretty early in that lucrative career that that was not where he was supposed to be and I resented everything I'd ever done to try to control him in a different direction. Yeah, but but it comes mistake. in all kinds of little things too, Linda. We just want to we want to control what goes on, and we're proactive to the point that it takes away our children's initiative. Sometimes I know, but it's such a release for you when you realize your child is doing what they really want to do. And in this case, it turned out to be magnificent. We just came from. Um, their their graduation of their third grade class this year. In fact, one of our other sons moved from Maui to Arizona, where Josh is teaching third grade, um, because so that their eight year old could be in his class. It was their last chance, youngest child's last. Isn't chance. that amazing? And they moved the there. Family. They rented their house. They rented a house in, in uh, Arizona, and that kid had the best year after sitting behind a plexiglass wall with a mask on for two years. Well, and this this is our son, whose daughter's getting married in our house tomorrow, and uh, they're an amazing family to to leave. Imagine leaving Maui, their home, for a year. To, just because they think so much of this brother who is a teacher that they wanted their last child, their youngest child to be in his class. And so, I mean, that's just to illustrate what a magnificent teacher he is. So somehow what we want to do is substitute the attitude of serendipity for the attitude of control with our, with our family, with our children. So instead of sort of predestining our children in our mind and trying to control where they go, we try to become serendipitous in the sense of being extremely observant, extremely aware, extremely open to discovery and looking for things we didn't expect, looking for gifts we didn't plan on, looking for aptitudes in our children that we don't have and trying to see them as they really are that's the ultimate form of serendipity of of of, of finding their way in a beautiful powerful way that doesn't involve our control right exactly and sometimes it takes years for our children to figure out what they really want and who they really are, just as it does with us. You know, yeah, we didn't yeah. have any idea we'd be doing this if we got married 50 odd years ago. But um, I think it's just so important to let go of the control and just let them be who they are. 
And even if it doesn't seem advisable, and sometimes it isn't, and they learn by the mistakes they make, but it is just so important to let them have the control. So let me repeat the definition of serendipity, even spiritual serendipity, as we like to call it. And as I do, think about applying this to your parenting, applying this to your family instead of trying to control everything. So serendipity is a state of mind wherein a person through sagacity, which means acute observation and awareness, and good fortune frequently finds something better than the thing which he was seeking. So get rid of your own things to seek for your children that are based on your own ego and your own desire of how a perfect family should work and see things as they really are and find within them the things that allow your children to grow into who they are ordained to be, not what you have sort of decided they should be, right? Absolutely. So um, I, I just think with each child, it's different too. It's just it's such a game of sensitivity and to make that, that yeah. serendipity happen, to figure out exactly what's going on. And this wonderful boy had became the teacher of the year a few years ago and has just flowered in doing what he knows he needs to do. It's just so important to let him go. Now, the other two deceivers are the attitude of ownership and the attitude of independence. And we want to, again, approach those as we have in the earlier parts of this series, but this time with the total focus on how it affects our families and how it should affect our parenting. So hang in there with us. We'll take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how sad it is that so many of us treat our children and actually think of our children as though we own them and how fatal that can be in terms of how we parent them and how much better it is to adopt an attitude of stewardship. So we will be right back. Hang on, because we've got two more to go. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about that today. Be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about control and serendipity today. And moving on now to the fallacy of ownership and the powerful reality of stewardship as it applies to family. You know, Linda, we've been around the world five or six times speaking to parents for decades and um, watching parents and watching how they treat their children. And I'll tell you one of the most depressing things, and we fall, we all fall into it, so we're not trying to judge, but it's so, it's so common to be talking to parents and realize that they're thinking of their children as a possession or as something they own. You know, it's like, well, I created these children biologically, you know, uh, they have they have my sperm and your egg, and they are our children, and we own them, we made them, and we <laughs> are going to think of them as our possessions. Now, that doesn't mean that parents don't love, it. in fact, that's the way they feel the love, that we love them, they're ours, 
They belong to us. And there's a there's an element of truth in that. But what it leaves out is the idea that <laughs> they really came from somewhere else. And they're not you. They're not little mini-me's. They're not little pawns on your chessboard that you move around. They are fascinating individuals. And they are puzzles that when they're little, we have to figure out who they are and put them together and discover the reality of them. And that's something that works so much better if we throw away the idea of ownership of those children and adopt the attitude, stewardship of those children. These are God's children. These were sent here into our stewardship. We are the babysitters. (laughs) They don't belong to us. They're entrusted to us by God on high, and we are there to be their stewards. And not only that, I think sometimes we fall into the hole of being the stewardship thing being so heavy that once again, we need to, we feel that we need to control them more than we do. Well, the ownership, if we think of it as ownership, right? the minute we think of it as stewardship, it lifts that from us. Right. But we were just this morning uh, listening to a little short message from our daughter on a podcast. And it was just so interesting because we're in the middle of all this stewardship and trying to take care of everything and and be where we need to. And uh, one of our daughter's daughter was saying, Mom, I, I know you're trying to do the best you can with things, but it, somehow it doesn't seem very joyful. It doesn't seem very happy. It doesn't seem like you're having a good time. <laughs> And I think that is some things that we forget. We get so diligent and focused on doing what we need, what we want to, our, to our kids to do or what we want to portray them as. But we sometimes don't portray ourselves as loving it, loving life, feeling full of joy. Well, that, you make a great point, Linda, because when when we have an attitude of ownership, whether it's about our possessions, our cars, our houses, or whatever, or whether it's about our children, we tend to be sort of under pressure because we feel the weight of that ownership. And also, we tend to be sort of anxious to make everything work. Yeah. Yeah. And and instead of this more wonderful and relaxed attitude of stewardship, which acknowledges, hey, we don't actually own anything. Everything belongs to God. Or if you're not a religious person, everything passes through our hands. We are just there to temporarily take care of things for a little while. And suddenly the weight lifts a little bit. We start to see things more accurately and we start to acknowledge that these things we we might think we own are actually our children. They're, they're our equals. They're our peers. We just happened to come to this planet Earth 30 years or so before they did. It could have been reversed. They could be our parents. We, the point is we yeah, all came from scary. some other place. We all came from if you're a religious person or if you believe in a pre-mortal life, we came from God. Or if you're a non-religious person, we came from the cosmos. We came from the universe. We're equal. We just got here before they did. So we're stewards. We're trying to help them 
find their own light, find their own life, find their own passion, find their own destiny, not to march in time to our beat or to what we do. It's like the Thoreau poem, right? Uh, if a man fails to keep pace with his companion, maybe it is because he hears the beat of a different drummer. Let him follow the beat he hears, no matter how measured or far away. And that's the way we need to think of our children. Yeah, exactly. And and not only as a huge, heavy responsibility, but as a joyful experience. Exactly. That's what I you mean, were saying. We're, we're here to have joy. And we get into the mire on these things. Like, oh, whoa, it's me. I have this and this and this. I mean, this is particularly crazy weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but I was so glad to hear that today because we're so happy we can do this. We have the facility to do it. That we that we have these children who are doing well. And and gosh, you know, there's not a more joyful experience than having a child, a grandchild, marry somebody that's wonderful, and that they're going to go off and have a great partnership. There is just nothing like it. We just have to keep remembering how much fun we're having. And if you think of it, oh, I own it. This is my house, and I'm having the wedding here, and everything's got to be just right. Then, then it becomes sort of this burden that we carry. Whereas if we have the attitude of stewardship, we're just so grateful to participate in this. It almost becomes a serendipitous adventure. We don't know what will happen. We don't, we're not sure how this will all turn out, but we're sure glad to be here and do our best to make it work and to feel, well, aren't we so blessed that we have the stewardship of this granddaughter and of this beautiful day and of this wonderful wedding? And yeah, things will probably go wrong. And, you know, it might rain. It, it might really rain. might. It's and, in and the forecast. We, we don't have enough parking. And I don't know what will happen, but we're doing <laughs> our best. And we're the stewards, not the owners. Yeah. I just think that remembering how much, how blessed we are and how much joy we're feeling, even under pressure, is just, it changes your whole outlook on life. Yeah, the adventure of being a steward, of having stewardships that are given by God and being thankful for those stewardships, whether they're the car you drive or whether they're the granddaughter you love, just they belong to God and we're here to do our best and we need a lot of help and we're humble. I mean, one of the things about the three alternatives when we start thinking in terms of stewardship and serendipity and interdependence there's just a humility that comes where we say, yeah, we don't have a lot of control. We certainly don't own anything, but we're going to do our best and we're going to rely on a higher power. And we're going to pray and try to be inspired and try to see things not only through our eyes, but through our feelings in our soul. And we're going to try to do it the way God would like it to be done. Right, exactly. And that's the... Uh, that's the rub, trying to remember those things as we go through our the difficulties in our life. So the third one, the third deceiver, maybe is the biggest, the biggest lie of all, the idea of independence. You know, thinking that we're independent in our family and independent of each other and that we really can stand alone. And I don't really need Linda. I'm glad she's here, but I could do it on my own. Or she thinks the same of me. Or 
you know, the, the whole crock of independence that we don't need anyone and that we should stand alone. In fact, I was just working on, I'm, I get the privilege of doing a little ring ceremony at this wedding and I was working on the wording for it. And um, it just kept occurring to me that same thing that, that what what marriage really is for this wonderful young granddaughter and her fiance is it's the joyful relinquishment or giving up of independence on purpose, willfully, voluntarily giving up that independence in favor of something that's much, much bigger and much greater, interdependence. I want to not be independent. I want to depend on you as my spouse and have you depend on me and to be mutually interdependent. And we do that with joy and with great gratitude. And that's what leads to this idea of synergy. We can be more together, far more than the sum of our parts. We can work in tandem and in teamwork. And I hope I can get that across in this ring ceremony, the fallacy of independence, the beauty of interdependence and synergy, or as we call it, synergicity. Exactly. I love that word. Um, synergicity is, has a lot of energy to it. Yeah. But I do. we do know that we're talking to single parents who don't have the partners that a lot of us have and uh, people who have never married. Uh, they they uh, have a different kind of of interdependence. Yeah, but still the same principle applies, doesn't right, it? I mean, we right. have some we have a lot of friends who are either widowed or or they're they're single and they're and that the idea in fact it almost is more relevant to someone who says I'm by myself in terms of where I live and what I do, but I acknowledge how interdependent I am on my coworkers and on my friends and on my neighbors. And I want that. I want to be injured. I want to need them. I want to be vulnerable. I don't want to try to stand alone. It's okay to need other people and it's okay to need God. Yeah. I worry about the fact that so many, how many, more than half of the young people in Japan now have chosen independence as far as just living on their own in their own house in their own yeah, space yeah and they're happy that way they think they're happy that way um i i think it, eventually yeah. they find that they've got to have some connections uh, obviously most of them probably have good friends and so on but it is a worry because we're going more and more as a society away from these partnerships, I can do it myself. I'm fine. I I like to do what I like to do, and I don't want anybody interfering with it. Yeah, but it starts with just this attitude of of rejecting the the notion of interdependence of, of excuse me of independence and and realizing that in interdependence exists all through the world, no matter whether you're single or married, no matter whether you live in Japan or here. You can't do anything without other people. Everything you touch makes you interdependent with the person who brought it or who did it and so on. And the idea of trying to say, I don't need anyone, I can be independent, is a big, big fallacy that can give us all kinds of anxiety. And so, and, it's, and again, applying it directly to families, 
even if you're, you know, even if you're an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, you're still part of a family and you want to be interdependent and need other people in that family and have them need you and to be able to give to each other and to share. And especially in your own family, if you are a parent or a grandparent, how beautiful it is to, to share everything with each other and to share your problems and share your needs. We we have a thing in our family, a prayer role, where people who want others to pray for them put down their problems. What are they worried about? What what can they share about their own vulnerability or issues and allow other people in the family to try to help and to try to listen and to try to be strong for them? So I think our challenge to you today is to appreciate the fact that you need people in your life. And I know that you all have, do have them and so on, but but feel the joy of having those connections, those connections that are really so important to you. And when you start thinking, I can do this by myself, find somebody to help with it. So this concludes the little mini series on the three deceivers and the three alternatives. And we, we leave you with this challenge. Try to find a way to reject the false notions of control, ownership, and independence, and to adopt in their place attitudes of serendipity, stewardship, and synergicity. If you want to go further and deeper into that subject, the name of the book is The Happiness Paradox. You can find it anywhere, and, and the easiest way is Amazon, The Happiness Paradox. Whether or not you ever get the book, though, remember... The three deceivers will drain your happiness. The three alternatives will increase it, especially in your family. So we hope you've enjoyed this little series, and we hope you'll join us again next week on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.